17, how we doing? <laughs> Good to see you guys. Um, so like Elizabeth said, Shannon, for those who are new, welcome. We're so glad that you're here and you've decided to be with us this evening. Um, we exist for primarily two reasons. The ministry is 710. To foster relationships with God and then with one another. So if you're new tonight and you want to know more ways to get plugged into the ministry of 710, myself, Connor, who's led us in worship, Elisheba, and Corey, uh, please come by, see us, and we would love to introduce ourselves to you and get to know you. Uh, tonight, we're going to continue our series in uh, Love is Blank. Uh, last week, we, uh, two weeks ago, I'm sorry, we started the series, and we took a look at how love was costly through the Good Samaritan story. And then we, there were, uh, Harley, if you could put that, uh, put up the, uh, the blueprint there, how love starts with looking, and then looking leads to compassion. And when you have compassion for what you see, you then move into action. And that's honestly, that's going to be our blueprint uh, for the rest of this series, um, that we're going to start with looking, having compassion, and then being moved to action. And then last week, uh, Corey, he uh, took us on a journey of how love incarnates. So in other words, love, it, it slows down and, and, and it moves into another person's world. And he, he told this story about uh, his encounter with a homeless man named Dean. Now, here's the deal. The jury is still out on what happened in that shower. <laughs> we, we, here's, all, here's all we know. <laughs> Corey... Loved this man, and he loved him well. He showed him the love of Jesus in only the way that Corey can. Um, but, but it was based on the premise that the transformative work of, of slowing down, stepping into someone else's shoes, stepping into their world, if you will, and loving them the way that you would want to be loved or treating them the way that you would want to be treated, that transformational work, it cultivates a heart of gratitude. And, and tonight, we're going to take a look at another familiar story in the life of Jesus. Now, here's the deal. I, I want us to do this. We're going to go old school. The church is in a series uh, on the book of John, and I want us to do this uh, a little old school. Um, the verse John 1 and 5 in particular, I want us to read this verse together as a backdrop of what's going to be ringing in our, in our hearts, in our minds, and in our conversation tonight. So, Harley, do you have that up? Let, let's read this together. I hope everybody can see that. We're going to read verse 5 together. So, I, when we get to it, I'll, I'll, uh, <laughs> I'll let us know. So, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and the life was the light of all men. And then let's read verse 5 together on the count of three. One, two, three. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Congratulations, you all get gold stars. I want that verse 5 to be ringing in our ears tonight, that the light has overcome the darkness. It may not seem like it at times, but the light truly has overcome darkness. 
And my prayer is that the light of Christ would shine, opening our eyes to the gospel, to the beauty of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, and then that our hearts would be moved closer to this person we call Jesus. We're going to be looking at how love is merciful tonight. Now, let me, let me just uh, caveat that real quick. When, I, when we say merciful in this context of this story that we're going to be looking at, mercy and forgiveness is synonymous. They, they work hand in hand, okay? So when you hear the word mercy, be thinking forgiveness as well. And so let me stop. We're going to pray, ask for the Spirit's witness, and then we're going to get into our study. Uh, Lord, thank you so much for uh, your amazing love and grace uh, for us. It really does. Your word speaks a better word, and, and we are incredibly thankful for you. And tonight, I pray that, God, you would use this moment to turn every heart towards you. God, that we would be so captivated by the beauty of your gospel, and again, that we would be transformed, God, through this word. So have your way. Um, we love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Turn to chapter 7 uh, in Luke. Luke chapter 7. As you're turning or um, pulling out your, your iPhones. <laughs> uh, let me set the sail real quick of where we're going. Tonight, we're, we're going to look at this story of a woman crashing a party, this dinner party. And we're going to look at how Jesus interacts with her, and then we're going to look at how Jesus interacts with the host of the party, known as Simon the Pharisee. And then at the end, we'll deal with two primary questions of who are you in this story, and why should this story matter to us, especially in 2020? So um, as we're turning to chapter 7, let me set the scene real quick. Uh, Jesus, his ministry is just booming. It's, it's growing popular by the day. He's healing people, raising people from the dead, uh, opening up blinded eyes. And so the word about this Jesus is spreading all throughout, all throughout the, the, uh, the, the, the country. And, of course, he would be receiving invitations for all kind of events and functions. And that's where we pick up in 36, where he's being invited to a dinner party at Simon's house. And it says this in verse 36 of Luke 7. When one of the Pharisees invited him to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman at the town or in the town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came, she came there at the Pharisee's house with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears, then wiped them with her hair, kissed them, her feet, he kissed, she kissed his feet and anointed them with perfume. When the Pharisee who invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she's a sinner. And Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to say to you. Tell me, teacher, he said, two people owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other owed 50. We talked about that a couple of weeks ago, that a denarii was a day's wages. And he says, uh, neither of them had the money to pay him back. So he forgave the, date, the debts of them both. Which one of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? 
I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't give me a kiss, but this woman, from the time I entered, has not stopped kissing my feet. And you did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as, as her great love has shown. But whoever has not, or whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your, son, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say to themselves, who is this who would even forgive sins? Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. So let's give a little context and background of what's happening in this particular story at this house. In first century Jewish culture, life was open to the public. Okay, it's not like how, how it is in 2020 where every house has an alarm on it. Uh, no, th th these houses were open to the public, and it was a common practice for someone to show up at these kind of events unannounced, primarily because they were either looking for a handout, money, or food, homeless. And for the invited guests, the host, he, he had a primary responsibility of performing a, a three-step process for uh, showing hospitality, wetting the feet or washing the feet of, of, of their guests. They, they had open roads, uh, these dirt roads that they traveled on with open-toed sandals. L ladies, y'all, ha we'd have to have a whole bunch of water out here because y'all, all the open-toed shoes I see. Anyway, um, uh, you were greeted with a kiss, and then your head was anointed with oil. All of these signs, all of these signs were signs of hospitality and honor. But here's the deal. Honor and hospitality in this story comes from an unlikely source. Many scholars believe that this unnamed woman in this story, she, she was a prostitute. She, she, she got paid to have sex with men. Or she was known to be looking for love and acceptance. Looking for someone to take care of her, to treat her right looking for satisfaction, but from married men. Either way, her reputation had preceded her. And her life to this point had been reduced to nothing but a homewrecker and ultimately cast out. Now we're going to move into how Jesus interacts with this woman, how he sees her how he has compassion, and then he moves into action. It's not explicitly state, stated why she came to this party, but if you can imagine with me. So let's step into her world real quick. Corey talked about this last week, incarnating, stepping into the world of someone else. Could you, could you imagine not being welcome into a space like this? Could you imagine that your life up to this point, every decision that you made was utter failure? And no matter where you went, people shunned you, they didn't talk to you, as if you had some kind of disease, i.e. corona. Um, exhausted from the chase of happiness, looking for love in all the wrong places. But you, then you finally hear, now we're still in the story now, but you finally hear of this man. This God-like man who, who came into this, this city, he's, oh, he's just from Mesa, and, and, and he's only just healing people. He, he's only raising dead 
kids to life. He's, he's only opening blinded eyes. Surely he can save or he could restore or he could mend a broken heart. Surely he could do that. So with anticipation and, 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 and honesty, with a moment and a hopes of, and a glimpse to see if these rumors were actually true, is this really the one that the prophets have been talking about? Is he really the, the one? It says here in verse 38, as she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears, then wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. The alabaster jar was uh, something that they, the women would carry around because they didn't have, like, running water the way we do in our, in our culture. So the best way to kind of take care of the stench was just to put perfume on it. My, my wife, she's from Ghana, Africa. In their culture, they call it a polishing dirt. A junior high boys are good for this. Put on the Axe body spray and just keep walking. Funky, stink. Anyway. There's so much to unpack here. I mean, her hair being let down in the presence of all of these people was actually a sign of intimacy. She, she was only supposed to do that with her husband in the privacy of a bedroom. So many things to unpack. But there's, there's one thing to take away from verse 38 is this. A heart that knows it needs forgiveness is transformed in the presence of Jesus. Let me say that again. A heart that knows it needs forgiveness is transformed. It's no longer the same in the presence of Jesus. Instead of receiving rejection, she receives acceptance. Instead of guilt and shame, she receives mercy and forgiveness. It's no wonder that with every step she takes to get to this man they call Jesus, it's no wonder that every step is filled with just streams of thanksgiving and gratitude. She's been given a new life, ladies and gentlemen. She has a fresh start. Does anybody know that kind of forgiveness? When I was in high school, ninth grade, I ain't going to tell you when because I don't want your judgment. But I was uh, in high school getting ready to go to my sophomore years. I was a, a freshman in the summer going into uh, my sophomore year. And I, and I got into a fight at school. And I'm not going to get into the details of the fight. Only thing I'm going to tell you is this. I got arrested. That's how bad it was. And not just like, oh, man, you, you got, you know, sent to the principal's office or what. Like, the police came to the school, put handcuffs on me, put me in the back of the squad car, and took me to juvie. Now, all, the whole school, this was during school, by the way. So the whole school is, like, seeing this up-and-coming athlete go to jail, the shame, the, 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 the guilt of just, man, you, you messed up. But it only intensifies. Yeah. 
that guilt only t- intensifies when I see my mom. And she comes to visit me. And I have been known to be somewhat of a pretty good athlete. And at that moment, I, I had just become another statistic, another black man in jail. And to see her anguish, her disappointment. But here's the beauty about that, in, that interaction. She never said, man, you're a disgrace. I can't believe you. How dare you ruin the family name? I work two jobs just to make sure that you have food on the table. Why would you do something like this? She never uttered a word, y'all. Even to this day, it has never been brought up. What makes it even crazy. So 20 years after this deal happens, that's how long ago it was, and that's how old I am, so figure it out. 20 years after the fact, I'm having a conversation with my dad. I'm over at my dad's house, and we somehow this story gets brought up. And he said, man, I don't know if you, you were told this, but um, the guy you got in the fight with, his, his dad wrote a letter to the judge. I said, what? He said, yeah. He, he wrote a letter stating that this was an isolated incident, that that." This young man was actually, he has a promising future. Now, oh my gosh, I can't tell y'all the importance of that. A black young man with a criminal record has a future of being in prison for a long time. Those are the statistics. But this letter to the judge on my behalf for abusing his son of saying you're forgiven. I went on to play college football and had a mediocre career. (laughs) Who said that? (laughs) Dan, I'm going to see you afterwards. If you're taking notes, write this down. To know love is to know forgiveness. If you know what love is, you know what forgiveness is. God is love, and love is merciful. Love is the source that forgiveness is birthed out of. When Jesus turns to see this woman, he doesn't see her the same way that society sees her, as damaged goods, as a life full of failure and flaws. He sees her in a restorative state as a beloved daughter. Jesus loves this woman in this moment with compassion and honesty. He loves her with grace and with truth. Verse 47 says this. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins, that's truth. This woman had many sins. Your many sins have been forgiven. That's grace. She don't deserve it. As her great love has shown, for whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. And he said to her that your sins are forgiven. Forgiveness is not something that comes natural to the human heart. I mean, 
for goodness sake. The Bible in the New Testament alone speaks of forgiveness 146 times just in the New Testament. He's trying to, he's trying to drive home a point. And I know some of us can attest to this, if not all of us. Forgiveness, we don't want to give that over too quickly at times. Somebody's really wronged us. We want to, we want to like, hold on be in, in control of the situation. We don't want the situation to get too out of control by letting them be forgiven and then them going off doing whatever. We want to hold on to that feeling of guilt for them, for their actions towards us. But here's how one theologian puts it. He says this, that to forgive someone is to set a prisoner free only to realize the prisoner was you. Let me say that again. To forgive someone is to set a prisoner free only to realize the prisoner was you. In 2015, um, I, was, I was at home getting ready, prepping, kind of like I did today for... Um, for a college ministry that I, I led back in Tallahassee, Florida. So I'm from Tallahassee. And um, I actually got some friends that are from uh, Florida who are here visiting tonight. No, they're not. They're not visiting. They, they live here. Um, but they were in that ministry and called Refuge. Yeah, go ahead. Make some noise. I meant them. I meant them. Anyway. It's kind of cool to see God work. So I'm, I'm prepping for our, our, our college night. And then as a little downtime, I turn on the TV, and there's a news report of the night before there had been a shooting at a church in South Carolina. The name of the church is Emmanuel African Methodist Episcopal Church. Black folks good for having four or five names in the church. We're good for it. It was the oldest AME church in South Carolina. Matter of fact, this church was known for having slaves being converted to Christianity. This church was, was known for its community gatherings in the, in the city around, uh, surrounding the area. And it was known primarily for their love for one another. I think that's what the Bible calls us to do. But on this dreadful night, a young man by the name of Dylan Roof walks into the Bible study on a Wednesday night. And he comes in like a casual dude asking for prayer. And then moments later, he shoots 12 and kills nine people. And one of the members or the, one of the people that he kills is, was the pastor of the church, Reverend Clemente. Pinkney. They interviewed Dylan shortly after, and they asked him, Why, why'd you do it? And he told the, the officers that uh, he had been ra radicalized by a white supremacy group, and he wanted to start a race war. That's, that's what they, they, they told him. That's what it was encouraging. And the, and the best way to do it is in a place where love is. 
But at the trial, something, something happened. Instead of hate, Instead of hate, it was love. One of, the, one of the members whose wife passed away, died, got killed, told Dylan Roof, I forgive you and I pray that you would accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. This Reverend Clemente Pickney it was stated in one of his sermons <clears throat> that he would much rather his life be a sermon than to preach one. Seventeen, when I die, when I die, I want this to be said about me. I'd rather my life be a sermon than to preach one. Put it on my gravestone. Forgiveness is not, it's not always easy, but it is always necessary. Forgiveness is not easy, but it's always, always necessary. And that was a look at the interaction between Jesus and this, this woman. Now we're going to turn our attention to the interaction between Jesus in this Pharisee, verse 39, Jesus is in the middle of this spontaneous act of thanksgiving when Simon said to himself, if this man was a prophet, he would have known who was touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. And Jesus said to him, Simon, I got something to say to you. Tell me, teacher, he said, two people owed money to a certain money lender. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of them both. Now, which one of them loved him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt. You've judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned to the woman and said, Simon, do you see this woman? I came into your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet me. She's wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. For those who don't understand a, a, or, you know, know what a Pharisee is, I'm just going to give a quick description. They were a group of religious leaders in the Jewish culture, so it would be like your pastors, elders. But these guys were a little bit more uh, astute than that. They, these, they, they would remember, study, the first five books of the, of the Bible, they, they called it the Torah. And, and here's the deal. Not only did they study it they, and just remembered it, they would be able to recite it at the drop of a dime. 
These guys were extremely intelligent. Here's their downfall, though. They thought that by living this strict lifestyle, living by the law, the law, the law, that that would be honoring to God. But it actually flipped on them. They became known to be religious hypocrites because they lived out of self-righteousness. That's what we see in verse 39. He said to himself, if Jesus was a prophet, he would have known who this woman is touching him. Simon is unable to see the beauty of this moment of what's happening in this spontaneous act of thanksgiving. He's unable to see this woman who is coming as a humble sinner seeking forgiveness. And he can't see that Jesus, the Son of God, is providing new life. He can't see it because his compassion is blocked with self-righteousness. This ideal of self-righteousness here is the ideal of that I'm better than you. I know none of us deal with that, right? We don't, none of us think that we're better than anyone. But that's how we sometimes function. By Simon neglecting to show the simple acts of hospitality, not, not wetting his feet, not washing his feet, not uh, giving him a kiss, not putting oil on his head. All of those signs implied that he thought that Jesus was beneath him. And then when, when he critiques this woman, he's judging her for her past mistakes. Simon in this moment implies that he's better than this woman. Compassion has totally been blinded from Simon. 1 Peter 5, 5. I'm going to just read it. Put it up, Harley. Thank you. Clothe yourself with humility toward one another. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. When we operate out of pride and selfishness, let me tell you what, 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 what happens. We are raging war against God. You don't want them problems. Jesus is trying to get Simon to love this woman by looking at her. He, he, he says this, Simon, turn, look, look at her. Now imagine now, so just, just think real quick, incarnate. House full of people. This woman has come in. She's kissing this man's feet. Simon is standing next to Jesus. And, and instead of addressing Simon this way, he addresses Simon this way. Every eye in the room is looking at Jesus, having a conversation with Simon as they're all looking at the woman. Do you see her? From the time I got here, Simon, you, you didn't give my feet any water. You didn't give my forehead or side cheek a kiss. You didn't, you didn't anoint my head with oil, Simon. But this woman, from the time I got in here, she has loved me by wetting my feet with her tears, letting her hair down, drying them, 
and anointing them with the only thing that she has to keep clean. Do you see her? Jesus sees this woman, and he's trying to get Simon to do the same, to see her. See this woman the way I do, Simon. She's forgiven. But Simon only sees her as rejected. Jesus is trying to get Simon to see her in her restorative state. She is a beloved daughter. But Simon can only see her for her past mistakes and failure. Jesus wants this woman to know that she is loved and cared for. And Simon can't do nothing but judge her and critique her. One of my favorite quotes by one of my favorite heroes of all time, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. One of my favorite quotes. Darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. Simon's blinded. The compassion blocker of self-righteousness has darkened his vision, clouded his vision. And Jesus is trying to shine the light for her to see, for him to see her as his beloved daughter. I said this earlier, that we're going to be dealing with two questions, right? So here's the first one. Who are you in this story? Because let me let you in on a little secret. There's two types of people in this room tonight that this story is addressing. There's the person that knows they need forgiveness, who's had a life that you had moments and made decisions that were not good, and you know without a shadow of a doubt you need Jesus. You need forgiveness. And then there's the other group. Like Simon, you function as if you don't need forgiveness because you're blinded by self-righteousness. One of my favorite authors, uh, Paul Miller, he says this about Simon in, in, this, in this story. He says, self-righteousness is like bad breath. Everybody can smell it except for the person who has it. No matter who you are in this, in this room tonight, here's why this story should matter to you. Because it paints this beautiful picture of how love is merciful and how Jesus does not treat us as our sins deserve. Like this woman, many of us in here have experienced the forgiveness and love of, of Christ. Instead of us receiving rejection and condemnation, we receive his acceptance and forgiveness. We're welcomed into a new family to live in a distinctive way that honors him. Some of us know exactly what it's like to be forgiven. I'm going to ask the, uh, the team to come up. And we're going to have a moment just to kind of reflect on this time. And here's what I want to do. For those in here who would say, 
not only that you're a Christian, but you really are. You're, you're wanting to move closer to Jesus. Well, just kind of think, think through this lens real quick. Is there anybody that you need to forgive? Is there, is there anybody that you need to ask forgiveness from? This would be a good time. Don't let a moment pass by. And for those by your own admission, you would say that, you know, you're not a Christian or you're just trying to, you know, came tonight hoping to meet a, a cute girl. Well, that's possible. <laughs> um, you came because somebody told you there was going to be water for free. That's possible. You came just because it was nothing else to do on a Tuesday night in Gilbert. I don't know. But it's not by accident that you're here. So as you, the unbeliever, the person that's struggling with faith or don't know where, where, where they are in their life with Jesus, let me, let me challenge you with this. As you're wrestling with who am I in this story, it's my prayer for you that Christ would come and enter your heart. It's a simple prayer and a powerful one. I'm going to pray, and the team is going to lead us in worship. Father, we thank you for this moment. Thank you for our time tonight. Thank you for the ways that you've loved us in our moments of being unlovable. Thank you for the moments where we should have received rejection or condemnation. You've given us a new identity and a new purpose. You've given us freedom, God, from a life of sin. You've given us a new name, a new opportunity to live according to your will. For those who don't know you, tonight, would you not only captivate their hearts, would you invade them? Jesus, would you make yourself so real and tangible in the life of the unbeliever? And God, that our community of 710 would be moved closer to you in this moment.